Welcome to another episode of Left Unsaid. I'm your host, Carl Zier. I'm really looking forward to and excited for this conversation today with our guest. You know, we used to say that, you know, whenever we can meet someone who did mate from the 80s, from the early 90s, it was like, you know, finding buried treasure. It was like, wow, because we don't have great records from back then. So I'm really excited to talk to our guests today, learn about their experience in MAPE, and also hear what they're up to today. Kwame, could you go and introduce yourself to the people, please? Absolutely. Uh, good morning, Carl. Uh, I'm Kwame Deroche. I am the Executive Creative Director of Bravely Creative. And yeah, I've got a background mainly in copywriting. Uh, came up as a, uh, a writer there. Uh, started off, like you said, back in, back in the mid-90s. Um, as as a mate intern and yeah, kind of built my career from there. All right. Well, we'll get we'll get into the longer version, but first, you know, we have to do the red, yellow, green check in because we want to know how you're coming in today, Kwame. For those who don't know, red, yellow, green check in is a way for us to just kind of level set and say like how we are in this moment, how we're feeling, how we're doing. Red is you're here, but you are distracted. You know, there's a lot going on. Green is you're 100% here, fully focused. Yellow somewhere in between. There's no right or wrong answer. We just want to know how you're doing. Make up some colors. Add some shapes. Just how are represent yourself some way. Kwame, how you coming in? I am absolutely 100% yellow. <laughs> like I'm I'm all over the place. Yeah, like I'm I'm a little distracted as but as always. But I think that's just all creatives. But yeah, and a little a little distressed too because you know with the, the the lingering covid stuff you know we're coming out of summer 2021 and still not 100 percent there but we're, we're inching closer and you know that's just a lot of anxiety there as well so luckily you know i was working from home before it was cool so like it hasn't, <laughs> it hasn't affected me as much in terms of my work but in terms of like my kids were home this past year. Um, my wife started working from home, so like I had a very quiet household that I worked in before, and, and it's gotten progressively louder. But outside of that, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I think I think you know that that state of yellow. It's probably a lot of people these days, and I get that. I used to work like at least one, or by, by the end of 2019, I was working two days home a week. Then all of a sudden, everyone invaded my space. Yeah, like I had my nice setup, I had my routine. Going on, but thank you, uh, thank you for joining us today for this conversation. Mid '90s, mate. Yep. Just tell tell us about what was because you know, like today, the application is all virtual and everyone knows. Like, tell us from application how you found out about mate application because I don't even know. Two, two words: mad analog. <laughs> right now, um, so I grew up in New York City. Um, so clearly, you know, that being a huge ad hub. When I was studying at Syracuse, um, at the Newhouse School there, it was the summer leading into my junior year, and I had started to look at internships earlier in the year, and, you know, the, the, the big problem, I wouldn't say problem, the big issue was finding an internship, but then wherever the internship was located, where would I live, how would I, how would I sustain myself, that kind of thing. So, you know, in my head, it was a no-brainer. I'm like, I'll just stay at home in New York, you know, live in Brooklyn, commute to the city like everybody else does. And then there was this whole idea of, you know, how am I going to make money over the summer? Because, you know, again, a kid from Brooklyn going to a, a very expensive school. I mean, I was lucky enough that, you know, my grades got me scholarships and stuff, but I still, it was still a big chunk of change. And I was helping my parents pay, you know, to go to Syracuse. So I, I needed to make that money over the summer. So 
unfortunately, and like a lot of kids face even today, it's that decision between an internship and making money because sometimes the mm-hmm. two are not the same. Um, I was talking to my advisor who pointed out to me that the, the mate program even existed, which I hadn't known up until that point. And the beauty of it was for me at the time that not only was it an opportunity to get the internship through a, through a cool 4As program, but you know they paid my room and board wherever I ended up living, and I, I was able to receive even a small salary, which was able to help with my tuition down the road. What I also loved at the time was that on top of all that, I got credit. So I got, I got three credits for my internship, I got mm. paid, and I got my room and board paid for. So at that point, I'm like, I'll, do, I'll go through hell or high water to get this internship. i got to figure out how the hell I'm getting this program. So um, I did the paper application, sent it in, didn't hear back for like weeks, you know, because that was, that was just the world we lived in. Um, when I did hear back, I was able to go to New York and interview at a bunch of different agencies, like with people that were involved in the program. And the coolest part for me is I got to meet one of my idols, uh, Maxine Petro, who wrote, who literally wrote the book on copywriting. So uh, she was at McCann at the time, and yeah, was just happened to be the person interviewing for this this internship. And so yeah, I, I clearly did pretty well at the interviews, and was all set to like go to a New York City agency. I'm like, all right, this is the way in. This is what I'm going to do. Now what happened was I got waitlisted. Which is expected because obviously everybody wants to go to New York City. So I was told that I was the second choice for McCann if the other kid didn't accept. and But I was the first choice for an agency called Eric Mower & Associates, which was in upstate New York. And actually was in their main office was in Syracuse. So, you know, it was that, that kind of Sophie's choice of like, all right, I can go home for the summer and hope that they take me as their second choice. Or I can take this place right here in Syracuse where it's my first choice. And, and I, I, you know, I took the sure thing. So, you know, knowing the city already, since I was already in school there, I'm like, you know, I could just, I just got to find somewhere to live in Syracuse and, and, you know, figure out how to get to work. And that's what I'll do. So that's ultimately what I did. You know, you know, lots of kids stay on campus during the summer and, you know, sublet their houses and stuff. And that's what I did and got this great internship at this small to mid-sized agency at the time, which, you know, now has expanded to an office in every city in upstate New York, all the way down to Atlanta. They've got, yeah, a presence in Florida and out in California, and they've, they've grown substantially since then. But at the time I walked in the door, you know, the owner of the agency was a Syracuse alum. He took me under his wing personally. I mean, how, how often does that happen where the CEO of the whole place, like he took me out to lunch my first day wow. and, you know, asked me what my plans are and stuff. And and has really, I mean, I just, I literally spoke to him about a month ago. Like, I still keep in touch with him. And, yeah, so he really took a huge interest in my experience as an intern and what I got to do there and the types of work I got to do. Because I was, again, expecting to walk in and, you know, kind of shadow people and grab coffee and stuff like that. By the end of that summer, I produced two TV spots on my own. I had uh, worked on one of their biggest clients and won an award for them. And... Yeah, I was. I, it was that August I was offered the job right then and there for when I graduated. So um, I had projects that I was still working on at the end of the summer, so my internship never really ended. I was going to work part-time and going to school part-time. Like, I literally finished my classes and run over to the agency and finish my work, and I did that all of my senior year. It became my first job. 
And yeah, I was there for two years in their Syracuse office. Then I spent another two years at their Buffalo office before moving down to DC where I've been ever since. But I mean, I owe so much of my career to Mape and to Eric and his agency because I got experience there that, you know, keeping in touch with my friends at the time, they were writing statement stuffers in, you know, the basement of these big agencies, hoping that, that maybe the thing that they wrote would end up in an envelope somewhere. And I got stuff on TV. Like I had a reel before I, before I entered my senior year. So I say that to you, every class I speak to, every student that comes to me, every intern I ever work with, if you have the opportunity to work at or with a small or mid-sized agency, do it. Because you're going to get experience there that you're not going to get anywhere else. And it will actually help you get your foot in the door of the bigger agencies later on. Because I then spent the rest of my career being not only, unfortunately, sometimes the only black guy in the room, but I was also, a lot of the times, the youngest senior copywriter, the youngest creative director, the youngest producer for this TV or radio spot. So because I had basically like a year leg up on a lot of my contemporaries. And I owe a lot of that, almost all of it, to this program. Yeah, man, what a story. I I mean, so many pieces of that really hit home for me, not just for me, but also just how different paths in your career can lead you to the same place, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to bring it back a little bit. First off, where'd you grow up in Brooklyn? Flatbush. Flatbush, all right. I, I just oh, yeah. just moved out of uh, Crown Heights last year but that whole that whole like oh i really want new york but i have this other thing i can't tell you how many potential neighbors i talked to who were like i really want new york but i got selected for san francisco or chicago or even you know somewhere in the midwest or you know so and i was like and like i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it i'm like new york will always be here yeah and at least that small agency experience, I remember from my own time, I started at JWT when they were 800 people in their New York office on a planning team of 60 people. And like I said, I was like a cog in the machine. Yeah. yeah. And then I went to a smaller agency translation that had a planning team of three, four people. And I was presenting to the CMO three weeks on the job. Like those, the small mid-sized agencies, you can get so much experience in so little time. Like, I love the fact that you had TV spots while you were an intern. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that helped push. And um, and the same thing with smaller agencies with like that connection to, to the CEO, the founder of the agency, you might not get at a big agency. So it's like, it's looking at like, where are the opportunities that will lead you to a place versus like, what is right now? And what do I want to do right now? Oh, for sure. And like I said, it's it's so odd that even to this day, like what almost 30 years later, like I'm still in touch with them. Like and whenever I refer to that story, whenever I tweet about it or it comes up in a blog or a conversation like this, he's my advertising dad. Like like I I would not be here without Eric. Like and I owe I tell him that every time I talk. I'm like I, I owe so much of my career to you. And he's like and I, and I, and kind of like um the emperor in the Star Wars movies. He's like, "Yeah, and I've watched your career with great interest." Like <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just him like and you know he's a great guy and and yeah i i it's i agree 100 percent with the small agency or mid-sized agency thing it's 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 an experience you really got to try and like you said yeah new york will always be there it, it will it always will and unfortunately like i never ended up back in new york but uh, I'm, I'm still here and i yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I did just fine yeah it seems like you're doing you're doing big things you're still involved still creating great work still involved with the larger community and you've never come back 
to the New York City. So you can have a career outside of New York City. Exactly. That's, okay. Good to know. I think I might. It's my, t- my time to leave now. I guess too. <laughs> finally, finally start my career up, really outside the Big Apple. Um, talk to me a little bit about like I, I'm curious because like you know you experienced MAPE and that whole thing. You know, mid '90s to now. If you're thinking about this group of you know MAPEs or the young MAPE alum today, you know what's like one piece of advice you'd give them? Soak in everything. I would say don't, okay, and, and I'll, I'll liken this to kind of my oldest uh, kid just started college. And, and actually he was, he's just home this weekend because it's their fall break. And it's that whole idea of don't miss, lose, fa- lose sight of the fact that you've got a lot of opportunity in front of you. Like you might see yourself as only a copywriter or a planner or a digital guy or whatever it might be, whatever, whatever drew you into the the industry in the first place and that's all you want to focus on and i know i was guilty of it a little bit and i see interns throughout my career that have done the same thing you focus so much on the one thing you want to do that you're not actually getting the full experience and that's not to say like you're all of a sudden going to change and decide you want to do you know media planning or something like that but it's it's nice to take in every part of the business and and really pay attention um, something might spark your interest. Um, you might see something that influences how you do the, 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 the one portion that you want to focus on. And I would really just avoid that, that really tunnel vision or narrow focus or whatever you want to call it on the one thing that you want to do with your career. Like it, it's, that's the great thing about internships. It's an opportunity to sit in on those meetings that you may not necessarily have to participate in but it's it's great to hear what's going on in these meetings and if you're invited go and i think that's probably the best summary of it is anything you're invited to as an intern do it yeah i mean you're there for a few months get as much out of it as you can yep yep great great advice so i mean let's i mean you're so you want to be in new york you ended up in syracuse now you're down in dc yep right so I mean, I, I was looking at your LinkedIn before, and I see, you know, that you were at Wonderman, but then you were at, a, like, it seems like, again, I just might, I, maybe just because I don't know them doesn't mean they're not big agencies, but maybe yep. size-wise are not big. So you seem to have been drawn to kind of the smaller agencies, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about that experience, like working at, you know, maybe the agencies that aren't big, well-known across the globe that do, you know, these big, huge campaigns that we all know, oh, yeah. and what that's like for... You know, for you as a copywriter. Sure. Um, so yeah, when I when I finally left Mower um, and came down to DC, it was to work at what was then RTC Direct, which is now uh, Wonderman DC, um, and that was a great experience too. That was my first experience with a, a big, you know, holding company that deal, and I was one of um, the WPP Rising Stars. I got to go to this big function with with Sir Martin, like that whole deal, um, and it was a good. I had. I had a good time there. I mean, I literally, the first day I walked into the office, I met the woman who had become my wife. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was, yeah, she was my account person on Claritin, and that was my first big account, is when we launched, when Claritin went over the counter, that was our our first big thing. Like, that was, we did that campaign end-to-end. So we spent, it was a very young team, too. We were all, like, in our early 20s, you know, lots of late nights and weekends. But, you know, we pushed out a brand, which is, you know, huge and incredibly yeah. well-known now. That ended badly. Um, <laughs> uh, she left 
to explore other stuff at some point just because there, there were, you know, as in the agency world happens, there are rounds and rounds of layoffs that happen and they come in these waves. And we had just gotten married at that point. And, you know, financially it was like, why are we both working at the same place if there are layoffs happening? So, you know, she went off and ended up starting a very long 18-year career at Marriott as an executive there. So, you know, that was great for her and it was a great time for her to jump. Um, I left later on um, because, as as often happens, a new creative director came in, and I was it, it was weird timing because I was out with our first kid on on paternity leave when he started. Um, so you know my colleagues tried to lift me up while I wasn't there, but you know I came in about a month later, and you know at the time I was a senior copywriter, and walking to his office I hadn't even put my bag down yet like I came right around the reception desk went right to his office to introduce myself I'm like hey I'm Kwame nice to meet you you know hope you settled in blah 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 and he's like yeah I've looked at your work and you know don't be surprised if uh I, I bump you back down to copywriter from senior copywriter what and I'm like really this is like the first conversation where I'm having with this guy and I'm like okay and I'm like well don't be surprised if I leave yeah and I, and I, I mean Maybe it's maybe it was the new dad thing. Maybe it's because I'd been out of the office for a while. But I came right back at him. I'm like, you go back out there to the lobby and you count how many of those awards on that wall have my name on them, and then you try to tell me again why you're thinking of demoting me. I mean, and I was coming in ready to be promoted to ACD at that point, mm-hmm. and to hear that come from him that was really surprising. So, at that point, I knew I had to start looking. Um, that that I tried as I might to build that relationship with him and figure out what his deal was. It just it, we were not compatible. So that's wild. Yeah, so there, a lot of the other agencies in the DC market, you know, focus on a lot of tech and obviously government stuff and things like that. So they're, you know, they're not they're not a lot of big names and a lot of um nonprofits and associations and stuff like that. So I found another agency that a friend of mine worked at, and literally two weeks after I accepted the position there as an ACD, they were purchased by another agency out of Pittsburgh. <laughs> Which then changed the name, changed the staff, changed everything. So I was like, caught up in all of that as well. Mm-hmm. And again, they hired a new creative director who didn't have a part in hiring me because it had happened two weeks prior. So he's like, I guess I'm stuck with you. And I'm like, oh, here we go with this again. Jeez. Um, it, funny story, though. He and I ended up being really close friends. In fact, he lives six houses down from me right That's now because funny. he told me about this neighborhood. And he's like, yeah, you, you need to move here. So, yeah. Um so that was that was MDB that then became Blattner Bruner, which is, again, a mid-sized agency based out of Pittsburgh. They do a lot of great local work. Um, they've got Pittsburgh plate glass and and uh, John Deere and stuff like that. So they work on they work on some decent names, um, and that was a fun time too. But that got to the point where now what I didn't experience with the the Wonderman agency having the big holding company kind of hanging over you, this place as the DC office of a Pittsburgh agency, like they didn't really seem to understand the DC market as well as they did their home market. So a lot of the Pittsburgh rules were, were forced on us here in the DC office. And it made it very hard for us to do our work because, you know, we have our network, we have our contacts here. We know how this market works and it didn't jive with the Blattner way of doing things. So a lot of, there was a lot of turnover there. I tried really hard because, you know, I fought really hard for that position. I didn't want to lose it. And, you know, try as I might, it just, that office ultimately fell apart, and they don't even have a presence in D.C. anymore. At that point, I made what I consider the biggest mistake of my career. I went client-side. Wow, wow, wait, wait, wait. You went client-side, and that was the biggest mistake of your career? 
was it was so boring. I mean, I loved the people I worked with, mm-hmm. and you know, I had some fun there. But like, I did two stints at two different places, client side, and it was mind numbing. Like, I mean, maybe maybe it's just my creative mind or how I like to work, but being stuck working on one product or one group of products and not having that that opportunity to come in every day and work on something new and different just it it just dragged me down. Um, very, I did, we might we might have to have a, another conversation about that with some other folks because you know like the the myth always is everything's better on client side oh no, right no, no, no. so i that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pause that conversation for something <laughs> else because okay that's interesting okay I like, okay. so so I've spent my time client side um working in a marketing communications department for a a software security company and we were so good at our jobs that we were purchased by uh, Verizon Business, who then promptly laid off the entire marketing department. Um, and that is when I started my freelance journey. Um, I'd been talking about it for years. You know, should I do it? How am I going to do it? How do we? How do? How do I? You know, pull my weight for the family if I'm trying to freelance and not bringing in any income. I was fortunate enough with that big, you know, transition to get six months of severance. So I gave myself three months to freelance and then if it didn't work out three months to find a job um yeah that was 17 years ago so, <laughs> so, so early yeah, that you had, you had to get a full-time job it didn't work out for you is what <laughs> I was getting from that yeah so that was that was the beginning of that and then at 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 one point at back at that wonderman agency my my i made a friend shane who was a free a young freelancer at the time who I partnered with on a lot of projects and he went, moved on to bigger and better things, started his own agency, which then was purchased by another agency. I was very upset with him for doing that because he never told me and I wanted to be part of it. And I said, if you ever do it again without telling me, I'll kill you. So flash forward to 2017, Shane approaches me and says, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing it again and, and I'd love to have you on board. And, and that was the birth of Bravely and been with Bravely ever since. And that will probably lead into the next part of our conversation of side hustles and entrepreneurship and all that. But yeah, so I'm now the ECD of Bravely. I still do my own freelance copywriting business. I also run three different online t-shirt shops that are just completely separate, just as a different, whole different creative outlet. And yeah, so I, like you said, I, I keep pretty busy, but yeah, that's, that's the, the, the trajectory of my career. Wow. Um, how do you, you you said you have you at least one kid in college? Are the other kids in college too? Because how do you have the time if you have kids at home? I've got this, it, man? my my daughter is she just turned thirteen in March and she's an eighth grader so she's she wants nothing to do with me so oh, like okay, that, okay there you go that frees you up yeah, for some time yeah, she, she's off in her teenage girl world and wants nothing to do with dad like I'll just I as I watch with my own family I'll just sit around and wait until she's about to get married and then we'll have a, we'll have a relationship again. <laughs> He's off doing her own thing, and my son, yeah, he's, yeah, he's he he just turned eighteen in August and went off to college, and yeah, so like that's that's he's off on all his right. own journey too. All right, all right, look at you, you got time, you got time to work with Bravely. Shout out to Saint Shane Santiago, my boy. We've known each other for years. My man, you do, you do your own copywriting hustles, and you got you said three online T-shirt businesses. Yep, yep. Okay, just. Talk to me about like when you talk about the you know, the side hustles, you know. How do you even first? Of all, I, I'm I'm just like how do you do it all this? But like what what really makes them side hustles versus like, ooh, I want this to be my main hustle. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
bravely because we only have one really major agency of record relationship. It's 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 that weird space in between full time and not. So that enabled me to maintain my freelance business. And Shane and I literally have this conversation every week where it's like, all right, so what what's on your freelance plate right now? And then how much bandwidth do we have for our bravely stuff? And it's always juggling that back and forth. Um, so yeah, so some weeks my freelance business is my main hustle and some weeks it's bravely. The, the only one I would truly say is a side hustle is the t-shirt thing. And it purely came out of you know, some downtime I had during the freelance stuff where it's like, I wanted to have this other creative outlet and I did it really as a hobby at first just to see what would happen. And it really took off. I, yeah, like I have a shop on Public, I have one on Redbubble and I have another one on Cafe Press. And it's really just the stuff that I love. And that's, that's what it boils down to. It's like the t-shirts that I would wear. So like, I'm a huge comic book guy and I'm a huge movie guy and I'm a huge pop culture guy. So like, I've got t-shirts on there, you know, everything from you know, the Regal Beagle from Three's Company to officially licensed Star Trek stuff that I was able to, I was luckily able to get a negotiation with CBS Paramount and they liked my stuff enough on Public through their, their fan art program that I've got like 115 officially licensed Star Trek designs on their website. And, oh, I'm like, I think my grand total right now, I have just under 1,300 designs on Public. Okay, um, sorry, I speak to this, like, I'm just trying to get dressed and brush my teeth in the morning and feel I don't have time for that, so how are you doing all this, but where, I'm just going to pause because I want to know where, you 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 mentioned the websites, but what are, like, how do we, is it under your name, is it under a different business, how do we find these t-shirts? Um, on the main, the one with the most stuff, I would say is Public, and it's under Pop Culture Shirts. And that's my handle on there, and I believe the the way to get to it is just um, yeah, T Public slash user slash pop culture shirts, and you'll see my whole store there. And yeah, I got a whole Instagram following and all that stuff too. But yeah, I can I can share those links later. Yeah, share the links. We can put them on the uh, in the show notes, and we can we can make sure that folks know how to get there and check out the designs. Because you said you were a copywriter too, but now you're also doing some design work, so you're just. I, I, I owe that to Shane. Working okay. with him, I learned just enough about design to be dangerous. Like oh, I, I'm, I love that. Just enough yeah. to be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I play a little bit in Photoshop. Oh, mostly in Photoshop. I play a little bit in Illustrator and stuff too, But which leads to my other hobby, which doesn't make me any money, but it brings me a lot of joy. I do a lot of toy photography as well. So like I literally collect... I've collected action figures since I was a kid, and... Finally, I have something to do with them besides stand them on a shelf. So, like, I built dioramas and I have vehicles and I literally will go out in the backyard and lay on the grass and shoot my G.I. Joes and stuff. And that's a whole other Instagram stream that I've got going, like, with a huge following there as well. So, again, I, I, even when I'm in my in my downtime, I'm always trying to find something creative to do. And that's that's what I do. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to have another separate conversation about the collections and the photography I think, right, for me, I, I look at all this and it's like, because when I said before, like, what's your main hustle and your side hustle, it doesn't even seem like you have a main hustle. Is you got a couple different side hustles that, eat, that you know, keep you busy. Then you got hobbies. How do you then determine, like, what hobbies are just going to be hobbies and what hobbies are going to, you're maybe turn into, like, money-making hustles? 
that's a really great question. So, the, like I said, the t-shirt thing just started off as an outlet for me. Like, you know, I had these ideas and there were t-shirts that I wanted that I never saw. So I'm like, I'm just going to make them. And, and really the first couple of months of it was just getting the designs on the website so I could get them printed on a shirt because I don't do screen printing or anything. I'm like, how do I get it on a shirt so I can have it so I can wear it? And that's really what it was. And then it was the, you know, somebody would see me wearing one. I'm like, hey, where'd you get that? I'm like, oh, I made it. And, you know, mm. shit. And so I never intended for it to be income. Like it was just, it was, it was really just, I want to see what I can put on these shirts and how they look and I'm going to try it. Now what happened now years later is my action figure collection has gotten to the point where it's like, I'm spending a lot of money on this stuff. <laughs> and, and I had to figure out how am I going to balance that? Cause I'm like, I'm not taking, taking food out of my family's mouths, you know, to, to support yeah. my heart. So what has happened luckily enough is that i do just enough of the t-shirt business to support the, the other hobbies so that's really it. what it's yeah so it's like one hobby feeding the other and it doesn't impact anybody else and it, it's nice to have that again that little that little side action that has nothing to do with my main business or anything else and that's kind of how that works but that that's i mean it's just you make as with all things you make time for what you love and and if it's something you care about you'll figure out a way to get it done and there yeah there there'll be times when weeks or sometimes months will go by without me putting a new design up on any of the shops but like this past week i did three new designs and you know i may not do any new ones until christmas like who knows um mm -hmm. but the toy photography thing like i i try to shoot every day because it's a good way for me to wind down at the end of the day after working like after sitting and writing and being in meetings and stuff it's just like i'm just gonna grab the camera and a couple of figures and go figure something out and it's just a great way to clear my head before dinner and kind of have that separation for the, the different parts of the day. Yeah. I love, I mean, I love that you, you know, what can, especially in this day and age, like what can help you wind down and just relax and what your own kind of like, how do I take care of myself and separate from work? I also love the distinction of like, you know, I just love doing this. So I'm going to do it for the love of it. But something's also, it's going to, if something can make me money, it doesn't need to be the only thing that I do to make money. It doesn't need to be the next big, you know, t-shirt shop out there. Exactly. It's just enough so that, you know, it doesn't take food off the family's table and it supports the things I love because I still got other things. And I love the way you've been like separated those things out because I think a lot of folks, I mean, you know, over the years, it's like, you know, you start something, whether it's a, you know, just a t-shirt thing, whether it's a, you know, organization and people are like, why don't you just make that your your main money maker? Mm -hmm. And it, it, I think sometimes it takes the joy and the love out of it if the pressure Absolutely. is there to make money off of it. And so yeah. having a way to separate that when you're doing your hustles, side hobbies, whatever, is a great way to make sure like I can keep doing the things I love without it I becoming got, a burden. Exactly. I see. I see it as a bonus. Like I mean, mm -hmm. again because I mainly work for myself and I don't work for some big company where I get a bonus at the end of the year. Like that's kind of where I see that mm. stuff. It's my bonus. It's my fun money. I could, you know, go on vacations with or take the family out to dinner or support my hobbies or whatever else without worrying about, Oh, well, if I do this, are we going to pay the mortgage this month or whatever? Like it's, it's just, it's nice to have that separation where it's like, yeah, it's really that it's a bonus and it's a nice to have, but you're absolutely right. Like when you make a lot of things in life, when you make it your job or you make it something you depend on as, as opposed to something that just makes you feel good it does change the dynamic of it and, and you know you never want to make make your joy into work i mean if, if you can if you can 
make a career out of doing something you love, that's awesome. But a lot of times, if you take something you love and try to turn it into a job, it, it yeah, it just bogs you down. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And I want to also give. I, I love the conversations that you and Shane have, right? Where it's like, you know, at Bravely Created, where it's like, what are you up to this week? Because I know you're a full person with hobbies, side hustles. How can we make all of this work? Let's make it work together. Because I think so often people, uh, companies, jobs, they're just like, forget all that stuff. You will need to be here 24-7, squeeze the life out of you. And that never brings, you know, it makes the person feel like, you know, they can be 100% themselves. Not even like bring up, but be 100% there because they're being squashed in another part of their life. So shout out to like both you and Shane for having that relationship. Where you can be like, I know you got other stuff. You doing all of that? brings your full self to bravely created Absolutely. right and the yeah. more companies the more bosses the more people that can do that with folks that work with them or for them or whatever i think they're gonna get better return from their on, on the work that they're doing in their jobs for sure i i agree 100 percent. i just i had to i had to shout out shane again because he's texting me because i told him we were we were talking and he's we're like great. he's like why don't you talk about how great i am and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like shane we already did we already did. We can talk. We can talk about his sneaker collection. We can do that. Ooh, no, no. We we need him here to do that because because yeah, he sucked me into that for a little while too. And that I had, to, I had to shift some of my sneaker budget over to toys. So okay, yeah. all right. You 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 know again. You you know the things that you love. You know the things you want to do. And yes, you can get into sneakers, but you you got the toys. It's it's good. Um, I know that. Uh, you know, we just mentioned you know talking about Shane because it always comes back to Shane that. Shane was just that ad color. Your team was just that ad color. Um, and I'm curious, you know, in the course of your career from the 90s to now, you know, the the landscape and how people approach diversity, equity, and inclusion has shifted quite a bit. Still yeah. a lot of the same issues, but shifted quite a bit. And at, having come up in the 90s, you know, and you've already mentioned, you've at many times were the one and only not just in the room, but maybe in the agency, especially, oh. you know, working in maybe smaller, mid-sized oh, yeah. agencies. Oh, yeah. Like, what changes and shifts have you seen? And maybe what are some similarities as well that have, haven't changed much? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start with what, what, what hasn't changed is, yeah, you're right. There's, there's still that sense that the brown people at the agency are still few and far between. They're, often the, they're still often the exception and not the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Some of that is, yeah, some of it's location. I mean, it's it's hard enough to find, like you said, a, a good agency, for example, like in the Midwest. So you find a good agency in the Midwest, and then it's like, well, how many people of color do they have there? And, you know, where a Chicago, a New York, a Detroit, a L.A., San Francisco, you're probably much more likely to find people of color there. Like, you've got that whole middle flyover part of the country where you have a lot of good agencies there that just can't or will not attract that that the talent of color that they that even if they want to have them it's like it's hard hard to get them there like how are you going to pull a kid out of an ad school on the east coast and make them come to montana to work at your agency like how is that going to happen um so i think that that remains the same is is that there's there are opportunities out there that that either kids are not aware of or don't want to go to like going back to what we were saying about like i'm so laser focused on going to new york even if i get into this program and it's somewhere else i'm not taking it like you're missing out on a huge opportunity there. So I think some of that, some of that onus is, is on educators and the kids themselves because they're not aware of that these careers even exist, that these internships even exist, and that these opportunities are out there for them. 
but then also that single-mindedness of I don't want to go to fill in the blank so I'm not I'm just going to do something else instead what I think has changed is obviously like social has just been the tsunami in terms of changing every the way everything works politics uh, uh, familial relationships you know keeping up with friends from from elementary school and middle school and stuff like it's changed that whole dynamic of people that you wouldn't see for like 20 years and not think of them you see them every day on facebook posting about their kids and stuff and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. so i think where socialist change is that it gives a voice for better or for worse it gives a voice to a lot of people and a lot of agencies and a lot of opportunities that you wouldn't hear about otherwise so you're able to share your experiences as a person of color at these agencies and reach out i mean there's so many great groups out there like you know 100 roses from concrete and 600 and rising and and ad color obviously that with all those voices kind of singing in unison it gives hope to those kids that are sitting around and maybe seeing some of this stuff on twitter or, or, or facebook or whatever and are interested in a career in advertising and don't they, they don't they still don't see themselves in it like you want even even some of the greatest shows about advertising of the past couple of decades, like 30 something and mad men and stuff like that. Even in those, you don't see yourself in it. So if you don't see yourself in it as a kid or a viewer, like you just think that career is kind of closed off to you. And I, I think that's what's changed the most, whether it's, whether it's moved the needle on how many people of color are in the business. I, I, I can't say for sure, but I think being able to see yourself there is a huge part of it that, Oh, I can do that too. And, and, and I've met over the course of my career, speaking to kids at colleges and high schools and even career day at my kids' schools and stuff, so many kids that are talented artists and really good writers and, and think that all that they can do with it is, you know, be novelists or be painters and stuff. And it's like, there are these entire careers that they're not even aware of. Like, how they, people consume advertising and, and social and all that stuff and not often give a lot of thought to where it comes from. And I think that's that's part of the education that needs to happen as well is like you can be the ones creating this and i think a place where they've done a really good job of it even though the, the community itself is, is apparently very toxic is like video game design kids that are way into video games like you can make this stuff you can come work for these companies i mean like we've seen especially very recently like you know right now fall of 2021 like the stuff that's going on in places like blizzard and stuff like that like the the, the, the really toxic misogynistic environments that are there but I think in terms of recruiting people and making them aware that these careers exist, they've done a really good job of that. Yeah, I think what, what I love about what you're saying is it really highlights how multifaceted this is, right? Because what I hear you saying is like, what's changed is the access to opportunities for folks who didn't have it before, right? And be able to create and make at a scale and a rate and a frequency that, you know, 90s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s didn't even late to didn't have, right? And so you can showcase that talent in so many ways. Like, you know, you mentioned like, you know, how are you going to get someone from an ad school on the East Coast to go to the Midwest? You don't even like from the agency perspective, from the company, you don't even have to go to ad schools anymore. Because that talent could be right, literally right in your backyard. And I think on the on the other side of it, these agencies, these companies have to get out of that mindset that you only find this creative talent in certain places. Or from, and yeah, they, from certain schools or whatever else. Certain like, schools, certain locations, geographic locations. 
And what we've pitched to some, like, especially through, you know, we've done some work with Ad Color in the brand lab and stuff. Like, what we pitch is, when you say it out loud, it, it feels like common sense, but a lot of agencies don't do it. Go to, just stick, even stick to your local market. Like, sponsor things. Like, create an ad contest or an art show or something that you as an agency sponsor so that that talent comes to you. It's like, talk to them, yeah, put it out to all the schools that we're looking for graphic artists and we're looking for kids who can draw and kids who can design and kids who know how to use illustrator and we're going to run this this art show or we're going to run this contest or we're going to you know why don't you write an ad for us or create a, a create a tv spot for us like kids are creating these videos all over the place why not get, give them and you know obviously they love to respond to these challenges you put you put the word challenge after anything and you got you've got your entire team demographic doing it whether it's a dance or climbing up on milk crates like an idiot, like whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, my, knee, my knees are too old for that milk crate challenge. Exactly, right? So, but I think there, there's stuff like that where you can reach out within your own community and find this talent and nurture it. Like these are kids that might never move away from home if they live in these, in these far off places or whatever. And you can keep them there and keep them as part of the community and get them into the ad community too. And I think that's, it's part of what ad colors whole thing is now too. Like, this whole idea of not only rising up yourself, but reaching back. It's like, if I got here and I, I did that a lot at every agency I worked at, any chance I had to get involved with the internship program and recruiting kids and figuring out how to get other people of color in the agency. And not just as a matter of checking a box or affirmative action or anything. Like I know talented people that can do this and do it well. And I'm going to try my best to bring them in here. And I think that's on all of us that have gotten to this, these various stages of our own careers to always think about that reaching back and talking to kids at schools and, and being involved in internship programs where we can so that we can be part of that recruitment process to help move that needle. Yeah, I think for individuals, it's about reaching back. For companies, it's about reaching out, right? Because we mentioned communities. Like the more, again, the more you can invest in your local communities, the more you'll see your return. Because often companies are like, well, we're just gonna go recruit from X community and have no idea what's going on in that community. We do so, advertising, you do so much research on the consumer. You wanna know every single way this consumer thinks, breathes, acts, loves, lit, like whatever. And that's but, what kills me, it kills me. We it's don't like, do it. You yeah, don't do it for, are, for who we, we wanna re recruit and yeah, attract so, to our agencies. Yeah, we're so good at creating archetypes and we're so good at yep. creating personas and stuff. But when it comes to recruiting people of color, all of a sudden it's the shoulder shrug. It's like, oh, we don't, we don't know how to do it. We're going to hire a DEI person and, and throw it all at them and let them deal with it. And then they're going to leave in six months because they're stressed out. Like, it needs to be it, – it, it, it's not a program. It's got to be a culture change. Like, you, you, because the other part of it is you get these – you can attract and recruit, but that's only part of the equation. Because how many stories have we all heard where it's like – you do end up fine. You get this really talented person of color. You bring them into your agency, and they leave a year later because they don't feel heard. They look around and they, and they get sick of being the only brown person in the room. Like, it, it, it's a cultural thing. It's like you you bring them in, but then how do you how do you retain them? And again, that's an HR problem. But they seem to be able to tackle that from every other angle. So why not there? It's like I'm, I'm gonna put I'm gonna push back. I don't know. If that's an HR problem. Well. That's that 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 that's more of a, in my view, a company-wide leadership issue because it's it's the it's the example that's set from the top. 
right? HR can only do so much to help with the experience of the employees. Uh, I heard, I was on a panel the other, I think last week or two weeks ago, and someone said, you know, your culture is pretty much your worst acting employee. That I just I had to sit and think for a second. I was like, you know, because we all have these, you know, big statements on culture and what it means. But really what it comes down to, it comes down, your culture is what you let people get away with. Absolutely. Right? That, that makes so much sense. And so HR is not letting people get away with anything. Right? It's the manager. It's the people managers. It's the folks in charge that say, you know, I mean, I've I, you know, I worked in advertising for 13 years. You've worked in the industry even longer. It like the stories you hear, sometimes you don't even believe. It's like, wait, this person did what? And they're still sitting here? That that then is your culture. Right? If I know that I'm a top creative and I'm typically a straight, white, cisgendered, able-bodied man, and I can say, do, act in a certain way, and I, nothing's going to happen to me, that then becomes the culture. And HR is typically powerless to do anything about it because you win awards, you bring in business, you do all this stuff. And, the, and, the, and those are all the excuses you hear. You're right. When you do go to HR, it's like the, the, it's, it's the hands are tied thing. It's like, yeah, we are, we are, we are bound by our rules and regulations and we we are we are only the the arbiters and the enforcers of them like we don't we don't create these policies we we can only work with what we've been given and and you're right and that's that's such a great way of putting it because it it is it it, and we've all worked that in places where you you can you can always point out who that person is you know exactly when you say it like that you know exactly who that person is who that bad apple is that gets away with everything and it's like until they do something about that person, this entire thing is not going to change. Whatever, whatever you say on your website, whatever you say in onboarding, it doesn't matter because we, as the folks who work here, can all see that whatever you said on your website on onboarding does not apply to this person. And if that's the case, then that is your culture, no matter what. So, that, so yeah, and, you know, having it was funny. I remember the first time I ever worked actually in HR was at my last uh, agency, and I was walking through, and they were like, "Oh, so how's it feel to be in HR?" And I was like, "I'm not in HR." They're like, uh, "Yeah, you are." And I was like, <laughs> "But no, but I'm leading D and I." They're like, "Yeah, but it through HR." I was like, "Oh, I am in HR." <laughs> oh, and then it just gave me a whole new perspective on like you know what and actually HR goes through, and I've worked with HR folks before, mm-hmm. but on the other side and. It's like a lot of times they, you know, like you said, they're tied to policies and procedures that aren't necessarily made by them yeah, or approved yeah. by them. So that's just my defense of, of, of my HR people out there, because that is one of the hardest jobs in the agency. And I, 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 I concede to that. I 100 percent agree with you. And I, I, re- I retract my statement. <laughs> oh, Kwame, I. I know you're a busy man. I know Shane's got you working half hard because I don't know if this is your side hustle week or your bravely creative <laughs> week. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and I want to make sure I give you the chance because we always leave our guests with 60 seconds to say whatever they want, leave nothing on the table, make sure nothing gets left. Sorry, leave everything on the table and make sure nothing gets left unsaid. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds. We covered a lot today. And. I want to know if there's anything else you want to leave our listeners with. Really, it's just, yeah, take advantage of every opportunity. No matter how it comes at you, be aware, 
be be ready always be willing to accept a, a, an opportunity that's put in front of you because it, it may come in unexpected forms so yeah i mean that that's i think that that's how i would sum it all up and i, I think that that philosophy has has served me well in my career i love it i love it because you never know it might not be the right the right time and that might not be what you want in that moment but sometimes you just got to go jump in both feet Kwame, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat sure. with me to share your story with the listeners uh, i want to thank the podcast team for foundation team um and everybody who uh tuned in today this is a great conversation i'm sure we'll be talking again if if at the very least about shane's shoe collection and how it compares to your toy collection because both i i, I want I'm, I'm here for them both so have you finished that stranger thing set behind you yet listen every day my daughter comes in here and is like why haven't you built this yet i'm like girl it's like three thousand pieces i need at least four days to get mm-hmm. it going so you got to give me a minute because i need to prepare <laughs> myself to put this to put that together yeah you so got you gotta put in that work. You gotta listen. Put listen, I got the Infinity Gauntlet. I did the Everyone Is Awesome. I got a motorcycle behind that. A bonsai tree. Oh, like, you got the bonsai. Tree. I got that for my wife for Christmas. Yeah, I can't. I can't really keep a real bonsai tree alive. So I figure a Lego one would <laughs> be much yeah. better. But this this one, I need like a weekend to myself just to put. I'm gonna need breaks. I'm gonna need intermissions. All that stuff <laughs> because I do pr- like this with with the. Uh, these the big tile ones yeah they actually have like an audio file like when you're building it that goes along with it where they tell oh, you the that's story. dope yeah like you scan a qr code on the box and there's like this whole thing and it times it out so it's like this build should take you about two hours and here's two hours of the people who designed it talking about it and like it was crazy cool like that's dope. That's, what got, that's what got me through both of these iron man ones is like i yeah popped the headphones on and just sat there and just built sat there and, and listen man that's actually dope so for for the listeners i know we said we're we're signing off but Kwame and I just started geeking out on Lego. I have a Stranger Things Lego set that I still need to build. And Kwame's got some Iron Man. What, what, what are those called? Like art? Like Lego art? Yeah, like the Lego art wall tiles. Or yeah. Yeah. So we're just, you know, we should probably take this offline and just have it be the extra special edition, extra conversations <laughs> behind the scenes. But, you know, that's what we're here for. So, yeah, I'll get to it. Maybe, maybe next time we chat, you'll see it built. Hopefully, nice. maybe, nice. maybe not. Who knows? One of them will be built. Uh, but again, Kwame, thank you. This is so good. Um, looking forward to you know seeing what else you do with with Bravely the T-shirts. Uh, wait, where else can we find you? You said I know the t- you said the T-shirt stuff, but where else can we connect with you? Um, yeah, I've, I've got Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, multiple Instagram accounts. I'll share all the links with you so you can put them in, in the in the episode notes. Yep. Perfect. I look forward to checking out all your stuff, all your work, and seeing you know what you do as uh you progress down your path so thank you again thank you to everyone for tuning in and until next time